everyone. Welcome to our Strong Mind, Strong Body podcast. I'm your host, Angie Miller, and today we are going to talk about chronic pain, specifically how you can help clients manage chronic pain. So, you know, chronic pain, a lot of times it starts out as a physical ailment, and before long, it seeps into every facet of a client's life, every facet of their functioning and their well-being, from their mental, emotional, social, and environmental health to the way that they live and function in everyday life. So today I have Andrew Mills. He is an NASM master instructor. He is a doctor of health science, and he is also a licensed massage therapist. And he's going to come on and talk to us about best practices and evidence-based interventions that we as personal trainers and group fitness instructors and whoever is out there helping clients manage chronic pain, that we can help our clients who suffer with chronic pain. So Andrew, I'm going to bring you in, let you introduce yourself. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Andrews and uh you know, this journey to understanding chronic pain has uh, been about a decade long. So uh, I started out as a NASM personal trainer, and I focused on, um, in the beginning, it was just take on as many clients as I could. And then over time, I found out that I had a knack for helping those that were struggling with chronic pain. And eventually, I became more specialized in my practices, you know, getting the corrective exercise specialization, which was a game changer, and continuing to work on my education. I got my master's in exercise science with emphasis on rehabilitation. I got uh, my massage therapy license and then eventually made the focus of my doctoral studies, chronic musculoskeletal pain. And uh, turns out there's actually a lot uh, that we can do to help this condition and uh, just by talking about it, we can actually improve our ability to do that. That's how simple some of the things that we can do are to uh, improve this, the life's quality of these people. All right. Awesome. So, you know, Andrew, I'm actually glad that you did that because one of the first questions that I always do is ask people what brought them into fitness and wellness. And you gave a really good synopsis of that. And um, when I first met you, you didn't have your doctorate of health science. So kudos and congratulations you. to you. Um, that's a big achievement. Yay. So um, Andrew, it's like, Andrew's like my little brother. He came onto the team um, and I, I just, I love Andrew. I think he's got a lot to share. And so I think that this is going to be a great talk about chronic pain because chronic pain really, um, is very impactful and we are going to run across clients who manage it. So first of all, Andrew, let's start just by kind of talking about the complexity of chronic musculoskeletal pain. Um, mind you, you know, we could probably, you could probably talk for days, hours, weeks, and months about this, but we only go for 30 minutes. So can you start out? by giving us a soundbite version of just kind of the complexity of chronic musculoskeletal pain. Yeah. So one of the things that makes chronic pain complicated is that it's associated with many secondary conditions. And then each of those secondary conditions have multiple factors involved. And when I say factors, things that are related to the biological system, our psychological systems, as well as our emotional and environmental and so uh, where that complicates things is these conditions are reinforcing of one another. So let's say someone suffers from anxiety or depression uh, or, or some other type of disability, and then they incur an injury. And then once they're injured, that injury could then be exacerbated and uh, basically 
continued or, or what what's the word I'm looking for? It, it would initially just take that condition from the acute stage and prolong it into a chronic condition. Uh, sometimes that's due to like, for instance, people who are struggling with anxiety and depression, it could be anything from uh, just poor recovery habits, poor nutrition, uh, poor uh, adherence to therapy programs. Sometimes it's the exact opposite of way way around. So for instance, you could have a pre-existing anxiety, depression, or some other fear avoidant behavior that would then exacerbate a, a, an injury, or you could have an injury and just the process and impact of that injury could create those other conditions. And so regardless of where you're at uh, with one of these conditions, the others can then come about uh, from that experience. You know, I, I appreciate the way that you explain that because I always say that we see life through the lens that we see it until something in our life changes and then our lens changes. And every single time we have a new experience, our lens changes and we, we see life um, through this new information that's come into our biology and psychology and what a, whatever impact it has. And so you explain that well, because if a person is already struggling with symptoms of anxiety and depression, and then they start, um, they undergo something, maybe they get into a car accident and they suffer a back injury and it becomes chronic, then it's exacerbated. All those conditions are exacerbated. And whether that has to do with personal resilience or whatever it has to do with, you're right. It's those psychological factors and environmental factors are play into the way that our body is functioning or not functioning. Um, I did, you know, a recent podcast where I talked about components of wellness. And so I think that resilience is a big part of that. I appreciate that. Yeah. So one of the things that we look at when we're tracking the potential for, for an acute injury to become chronic, uh, and the thing that's important, you know, one of the big red flags is as a trainer, I've worked with somebody and you know, they say they hurt, they have this pain, none of the doctors can figure it out. We go through all of our movement assessments. And while we would find some things that none, none of it would explain the pain. And one of the things as professionals, whether we're talking about, you know, chiropractors, massage therapists, personal trainers, uh, you know, doctors of osteopathy, etc., we all get really good at treating the conditions that we're trained to treat. And mm -hmm. so we get really effective at recognizing the physiological issues. But whenever the pain continues to persist beyond reason regarding these physiological issues, then we have to start looking at other components. So for instance, the fear avoidance model really starts to explain or at least highlight some of these areas where acute becomes chronic. And so basically what this outlines is when somebody gets hurt, they have this moment, this pain experience. And then one of two things can happen in that moment. They can either say, okay, this isn't great, but it's something I can overcome. I have the tools, whether it's the education, the support from my friends or the professional support to actually um, overcome this condition. And that's usually what we see when somebody does not succumb to chronic pain. So that's where that social support and all of these other things are really important. Now, if it's the opposite, they say, I don't have the tools, I can't afford this, I don't have the right help, I don't understand what's happening to me, then it can go a different direction. And that different direction usually leads to catastrophizing. And catastrophizing, you may have even heard clients say this, where um, they basically just, you know, that whole make a mountain out of a, a molehill. Something we say here in the Midwest. It, it's, this, uh, it's this thing to where I could never do that because it's too hard. I'm not good enough. It could be, um, 
another example of catastrophizing would be um, my whole life is over because, you know, I tore a ligament. I call and, it using uh, absolutes. Yeah, like I can't, absolutely. I never, all the absolute terminology, right? Yeah, so. it's really taking something that's too, making something that is on its own, not a big deal, but from their perspective, it's too big to manage. So yeah. catastrophize. So we look for catastrophism and uh, catastrophizing language. And if we recognize that language, of course, we want to back them off. So I, I think as coaches, we kind of do this all the time with our clients. You know, when we say, okay, we're going to add 10 more pounds to that squat. And they're like, oh, I could never do that. And, uh, you know, because, you know, my back's going to break or something. So, you know, we'll, we see this stuff in um, little areas, but then we also see it in, in large impacting areas. And I like to, when I'm working with my clients, I will actually keep an eye on screen for that language and then reframe and change how we're talking about things all the time. Okay. But what happens is when they have that catastrophism in place, then they start to have pain-related fear. And the way this translates to movement for personal trainers, it's whenever you're trying to get someone to maybe cue them through a squat and they have absolutely no reason to be compensating regarding uh, the training. For instance, uh, let's say they've had an injury before, they felt knee pain during a certain movement. I think squats is a common one. You hear people say, I can't do squats because um, I have bad knees and I'm going to get hurt. Mm -hmm. That's catastrophism. And then they go to the pain-related fear where they may actually not follow your instructions, then more likely to feel pain because they're not listening, but they're avoiding specific movement patterns, even if they're good for them, because it mimics maybe what they were doing when they got hurt. So they start avoiding it. So we see it in staircases, we see it in squats, we see it in how they walk. And this begins this pattern now of dysfunction and repetitive overuse. Right. So, you know, just to recap, first of all, I'm talking to Andrew Mills. He is an NASM master instructor, and he is also a, um, he just got his doctorate of health science and he is a licensed massage therapist. And so what we're talking about is helping clients, uh, manage chronic pain. And this has been a big area of research for Andrew. And if you're just tuning in, what, what, one of the first things that Andrew talked about was, um, some of the complexity of musculoskeletal pain is that it has as much to do with our personal psychology as it does with the uh, physiology of, of the pain itself, right? So I get injured, but if I'm already suffering from anxiety or depression, that's going to impact the way that I view my ability to recover from that injury. Am I doing okay so far, Andrew, on this recap? Yeah, it's fantastic. And then the okay. other route is I've had this injury and I'm going to develop these other secondary conditions that then would yes. have the same reinforcement because I'm not able to participate in my lifestyle like I want. Right. Uh, because now I'm catastrophizing and, and globalizing. Yeah. And uh, let's face it. A lot of people use exercises to manage the stress in their life. And as soon as they can't exercise, then uh, they're left unequipped to deal with life stress. So that's another big factor. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we're talking about catastrophizing and we're also talking about pain related fear. And that's kind of where Andrew is right now. So, and I think you're right now, you're talking about, you know, you talked about the complexity, but now you're talking about that fear avoidance model and kind of helping mm -hmm. trainers and people who are listening, um, understand the fear avoidance model. So do you want to continue on that journey? Yes, I do. All right. I hope everyone else does too, because <laughs> that's where we're going. So, you know, the next step in that model is the avoidance hypervigilance. And uh, 
you know, we're one of the ways we'll see this. If you know everyone's got the proper mobility, and like let's say in the OPT model during phase one, we have um, jump down to stabilization. And I love that exercise segment because what it does is it trains people to say, this is a safe posture to be in and hold. Otherwise, what ends up happening when people are walking and they're jumping and they're doing these different activities is they stiffen up in anticipation of pain and to avoid that movement, which then causes more problems. But as they continue to avoid things, this isn't just avoiding a specific movement. This could be avoiding activities altogether. I can't go to the theme park with my family because I'm just going to slow them down. I'm not going to you know, go to the park and play with my grandkids because you know I don't want them to see me in pain. And so then they start avoiding other activities in life. And then ultimately this will lead to a state of disability and reinforce then that depression and disuse. And the cycle will just repeat itself from there until okay. someone like us comes along and uh, intervenes. Yeah, well, and that, that is exactly what makes chronic pain so complex is because it leads into, um, you know, I mentioned I did a whole podcast recently on the pillars of wellness, and it impacts every aspect of our lives. And, you know, this isn't just for helping our clients manage chronic pain. It's also us, because like you said, as fitness people, we tend to use exercise as our way to feel healthy. And if we do something to get injured, um, we are not the best version of ourselves. I personally use exercise to mitigate um, uh, pretty good symptoms of anxiety. And when I cannot exercise, my anxiety is very uncomfortable for me. Mm -hmm. So um, that whole fear avoidance model, I really appreciate that. Um, is there anything else you kind of want to say? So you kind of talked about the the fear avoidance model being the catastrophizing leading to the pain related fear. So it's, they're going to globalize it and say, I can't squat because this is where I got injured. So I can't do any daily movements that lead to squatting. How am I going to get up and downstairs or sit in a chair <laughs> and then the hypervigilance. So, you know, I'm going to absolutely stay away from that. And therefore it exacerbates the disability. I mean, you perfectly summed it up. But what I'd like to really focus on, you know, with the time we have left is discussing things that we could be doing as professionals to, to help this population. Let's uh, do. So for instance, one of the things that makes uh, fitness trainers so special for this population is that we get to operate in a gray area that allows us to help people more than some other specialists and, and doctors are able to, as they are in other words, we had a we have a more overlapping scope of practice. So while we may not be treating pain and, and treating some of these things that we find, because we spend so much more time with our, our clients and the people that we train, what we're able to do is really screen them more effectively for uh, symptoms of this fear avoidance behaviors and actually start working with them. So you know you get that trifecta of uh, corrective exercise specialization to actually handle some of the movement impairments and, and repair those movement patterns. And you've got the behavior change specialist, which allows us to recognize and handle some of these basic things like catastrophism and how we uh, frame our self-talk and, and visualization. Visualization is key to, if you can't see yourself moving and, and being better, you're going to have a hard time following through with anything to actually achieve it. And, and then you've got your performance enhancement, which then again is how do you take someone from that corrective state and get them back to a performance standard? And 
that's really the trifecta here. And it really gives the, the professionals the tools necessary to catch all of these things. And what we should be doing is collaborating with other professionals. As we recognize things, we need to be referring these clients to get help with these specific issues that we find. And their job is to help eliminate these obstacles that prevent them from achieving that lifestyle that they want or want to get back to. So that's huge what you just said, because um, I caught that right away. The nuance of that is, is living in that gray area is a beautiful thing. For instance, I tore my meniscus, went to physical therapy. Um, I know that I had some compensatory patterns in the way that I moved, but guess what? My physical therapist was only paid by insurance to deal with the meniscal tear, even though we both knew that there were so many other ways that I was not functioning and moving properly and other things that he could have done, but he couldn't do because it wasn't paid for by insurance. And so that's kind of a maddening proposition. Whereas as trainers, we get paid to do what we do. And so, like you said, there's more of a gray area there. Um, we have to work with those professionals and we need to collaborate with them because we're not treating pain, but we can use corrective exercise practices to enhance performance. So I think that that's key, what you just said. And I hope that everyone listening really caught that nuance because sometimes medical practitioners are really guided by what insurance says they can do. Yeah, their hands are tied by law in a lot of cases, uh, who they're allowed to refer individuals to. A lot of times they can only make recommendations based on what they can measure and they can only measure uh, with the measurement tools they have. And so, for instance, a uh, orthopedic doctor is going to use very different tools to assess than a behavior specialist. And so uh, when you have mental health practitioners looking for one set and you have an orthopedic looking for another, if that if that person's out of the acute stage of healing, that orthopedic's not likely to find anything and they can insist that person's better and not necessarily have an explanation for a pain. And one of the maddening things for these individuals is they hear again and again and again that this pain is just in your head and it's very consulting. But at the same time, the doctor's not wrong, but it's not the complete answer either. And so it right. seems like a dead end, but it's really not. It's just the work of what you can accomplish with that professional is done and you need help from other professionals for the remaining factors that are in place. And one of the issues that tends to happen, whether we're talking with uh, insurance or other uh, organizations that are involved in these treatments is timing. Timing is critical. Um, for instance, let's say I'm working on someone as a massage therapist and I recognize they've got some joints that are kind of stuck and not moving well. As a massage therapist, I can treat all those muscles and make sure that they're softened up. But if they can't see the chiropractor for another week, uh, that chiropractor is going to have a harder time catching everything because they're tight again or yeah. vice versa. Yeah. You know, they get the chiropractor works on them. They get all those joints back in alignment, but they don't get to see a massage therapist for a month. Well, everything's tight and everything's going to be right back out again. So, you know, you kind of got to have that trifecta of treatment where they're getting that psychological assistance, they're getting that uh, physiological assistance and that social support all at once. Yeah, 
Okay. So, Andrew, I just want to reintroduce you. Andrew is an NASM master instructor. He is also a um, licensed massage therapist, and he has a he has doctorate in health science, and he has been doing a lot of research on chronic pain. So we are talking about how to help our clients manage chronic pain. But also, if you are a person listening and you are into exercise and movement and health, he really is talking about what we can do to understand the underlying um, conditions associated with chronic pain. What makes it complicated is that our personal psychology has a lot to do with it as well in ways that we were feeling before we got injured. If I was already feeling anxious and depressed and I got a severe back injury, um, needless to say, that back injury is not going to help my mental health in any way, shape or form. So Andrew has talked about the importance of collaboration and also that us as trainers, we have a great, we are in a great spot because we are not driven by insurance. And so we can use corrective exercise and performance enhancement. So Andrew, go back to the, um, the trifecta. So you, know, you were talking about our psychology, our physiology, and the oh, social sorry. environmental factors, the social environmental. Yeah. So, so um, people really need the support, you know, when someone's been told that this pain's in your head. And if you're a caretaker, and you're hearing the doctors or some professionals who specialize, you know, on the physiological aspects, saying, you know, this is in your head, we can't find anything on MRIs and, and x rays and things like that, which uh, most things that cause chronic pain aren't going to show up. And so even family then starts to doubt their own family members who are experiencing chronic pain. It could be a very lonely experience. So just being willing to listen as a professional and uh, trust them when they tell you something that's not right and kind of treat this as a, an exploration process to find out what other factors are, are occurring. And the better you know these factors, the, the quicker you're going to find them. And you're going to know where to look for them. And then you can help connect them to the right professional. And some most of the time, the personal trainer is the right professional because of that overlapping expertise and behavior and motivation and um, the physiological aspects that comes with movement quality. For instance, if somebody's got compensations and chronic overuse, that's not going to show up on an x-ray or an MRI, but we can see that in our movement assessments. And so we get to be that trifecta, even though we can't dive in as deep as some of these other uh, doctors because of licensure and scope of practice, because we are so well-rounded, we're really equipped to kind of balance a lot of these factors for individuals. And then we can get that specialized help when we recognize an obstacle that's too big and outside of our scope. Yeah. So Not we can us, but to complement us. Right. Exactly. As a collaborative approach, as a comprehensive team. Exactly. Because I hear you say we're not here to treat pain. We're just here to help them manage it through mm -hmm. corrective exercise and improving performance. But understanding that psychological factors, physiological factors and social support play a role. And, you know, yeah. when you were. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I would like to plug in real quick. You know, we say, you know, saying we don't treat pain, it feels like we're just playing with semantics. And we are really treating pain, but we're not treating pain. In other words, uh, pain is a symptom of all of these other factors. What we're really treating, if we get down to it, we're, we're treating movement impairment. We're, we're, we're treating lack of motivation. We're, we're treating, you know, their ability to visualize a, a better life for themselves and, and where they're going. You know, we're, we're like uh, trail guides here that are going to take them down this path, help them over the obstacles and kind of help them navigate that path to some degree. And so the outcome is typically going to be less pain. Mm -hmm. 
but we're not treating the pain itself. The, the pain will go away usually as a consequence of taking care of these other issues. Yeah. Well, that was a good clarification, actually, because you're right. There's there's a there's a nuance to that, as there is with a lot of language. It's not just about what we say. It's about what is the meaning behind that. And so I do think that social support is huge because you're right. There's nothing that makes somebody go off the rails more than having someone tell them it's all in their head. And even in mental health, I have clients tell me that they grew up with a mentality or in a culture where a mom or a dad would say it's all in your head. Just get over it. Just do this. Well, the same thing happens with physical pain. And, you know, I'll tell you what really um, mitigates pain, both emotionally and physically, is somebody just to sit down and listen and validate us that what we're feeling is what we're feeling. And what we're experiencing is what we're experiencing. And all of a sudden, we feel like we're not crazy. And and somebody is is guiding us through and supporting us. So yeah, and something I would like to add to that is you don't have to understand it to listen and to help someone feel understood. So, you know, one of the things that I try to do as a professional is I look at my interactions and my approach to when I'm listening to clients. Sometimes I, I'm in this very clinical mode and I, I'm only looking for the details that's pertinent to what I'm trying to solve at the moment. But there's always this time where you have to really listen to that client or that or that person who's struggling and I always ask myself this question at the end of the day, am I enhancing trust with this person or am I somehow diminishing, diminishing trust? If trust is a bank account, am I depositing or withdrawing? And one of the biggest deposits you could ever make in that trust account is helping someone feel heard and understood and taking the time to listen. And I've even said, I, I don't understand what you're going through, but you keep communicating with me. And we're going to figure it out together. Mm. Now I've been doing this so long, you know, I've heard all the stories. I, I can understand to some extent, even if I haven't felt it myself. I have experienced chronic pain, you know, and, and small bouts throughout my life. So there's some things I can relate to, and there's some things I'll never relate to. But I don't have to have experienced or be able to relate to it to help someone feel understood and heard. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and just like you don't have to be an expert in something to help someone understand it or to, to, you know, help someone work their way through it. But I do appreciate that you said that, that, you know, it, it doesn't cost anything to listen. And also I think what I call the word that I used when you were talking was I thought agenda. A lot of times we go on with an agenda. I need to get this information from my client. It's our agenda and it's well-intended, but because we're so focused on our agenda and information gathering, we forget to listen to what's not said and some of the information they're trying to give us. And we forget how easy and simple and free it is just to listen to people, right? Yeah. You know, there's different types of support that people need. Uh, there's really four categories of support that people need. And if you, we tend to, especially as professionals, we tend to come in with solutions as solutions are one of the four things that people could be looking for. And the problem with that is if they're not looking for uh, specifically a solution, maybe their doctors have it under control. They just need somebody to talk to. And, and we're sitting here trying to apply solutions on top of what they're already receiving. Even if we might have a different answer, uh, they're not going to feel heard and understood, and we're not going to enhance that trust in that relationship. And so what, what ends up happening is we didn't listen well enough, and now we're trying to apply the wrong kind of support. Are so you mansplaining? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, could be. You know, <laughs> it, it could come across as mansplaining. It could also come across as 
Uh, you're just listening to the problem, but not offering a solution when that's what they really wanted. It could be that, uh, you know, they needed a tool. Maybe they just need information from you and they're not looking for, you know, a 12 week package. They're just looking for a little education. And so the, the more effectively we understand the kind of support they need, the more they're going to trust us. And a lot of times when they're going through this fear avoidance cycle and they're bouncing from, you know, condition to condition and that things are compounding on their lives and they're lacking support, uh, they're not going to have a lot of patience for people who aren't listening to them. Mm. And they may not even stick around long for you to help. But yeah. if you're also not listening well enough to understand what kind of support they need, you, you'll miss a lot of the red flags and the information that we need to actually help them as well. So what were the four types of support again? You said sometimes people are looking for Yeah, I for didn't solutions. actually list them all. But uh, basically the four types of support is going to be information. In other words, they just need some degree of education. Sometimes it's instrumental. In other words, they need a tool of some sort. Um, maybe that's that right piece of rehabilitation equipment or uh, an online resource that they can find information. They need emotional support. Sometimes that means it's just being heard and that or, or motivation and then the last one is a solution so and training terms a solution would be a corrective exercise program a uh, tool might be let's get you on this app to help manage your activities in your day uh, emotional support might be you know you're having a tough time tell me what's going on in your life and i'm just here to listen and then the example of um, i got lost where i was you said information, um, instrumental, which is- Oh, then information would be, uh, he here's an article on, you know, something we yeah. discussed the other day. Okay. You know, or, or you have questions about this topic. Here's some articles on that topic. Okay. So that, that pretty well covers the four types of support, but the quickest way to diminish trust and not connect with these individuals and uh, build that trust for them to open up and explain some of the things that are going on in their life, you, you're not gonna, you're not gonna get that if you provide the wrong kind of support. Yeah, that's a that's a really good one. I never really um, so just the different types of support. Do they want information? Do they want tools? Do they need emotional support? Um, or do they are they looking for a solution? But it's all about building trust, it, and, and it's it's authenticity that is the the foundation, the core of what we do, and I think how we move through life, depending on the type of relationships that we develop. So Andrew Mills, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about chronic pain and what we can do to help clients manage it. I actually think that you did an amazing job. I'm going to have to have you back on because there's some other topics that I know you and I like to talk about. So this is like Pandora's box. You open it up and there's a hundred okay. different subtopics to explore. <laughs> I know for sure, but I think you did a great job. So thanks so much to all of our trainers and instructors, uh, chiropractors, physical therapists, everybody out there who is listening, probably the whole world right now on how to manage chronic pain, because like you, I too have dealt with different bouts of chronic pain throughout my life. So thanks so much to all of you. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Mm -hmm.